Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Bless the choir as we sing. Speak through us now. In Christ's name.
for being with us today. Everybody grab your hymn books now. Stand up, stand up. We'll make a joyful noise together. Brother Ken's going to come lead us. We're glad you're here this Sunday morning. Brother Ken. Amen. And you read songbook this morning, hymn number 333, a very familiar song we all know so well. I'll fly away. We'll do all three verses. Hymn number 333 in your read songbook. Some glad morning when this life is over. sing I'll fly away and I look at her and say mama are you crazy she said nope I want everybody to know that that casket doesn't contain me hey. amen I like that hey. thank you for being here this morning <coughs> thank you for being here this morning appreciate you coming we're going to open up in a word of prayer I want you to pray for sister Susan Atkins family Wonderful home-going service yesterday. We're not praying for her anymore. We know where she is, Amen. but we're praying for the family. Other requests that were mentioned this morning. Brother Gerald Cassidy, open us up in prayer, if you would, please. Let's go to the Lord together this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to come back into your house and study another portion of your word. Lord, we're so good that we just come and gather around each other with the same believers, Lord, that just believe in you, and we just... Pray for the sick, the ones that are here that have had problems, Lord. You know everyone's need and everyone's cure. You, you're the great physician. All things are possible through you. Lord, we just pray for Brother Greg this morning as he brings forth the message, Lord, that you'll just, just hide him behind you, Lord, and just give him the words that we stand most in need of. Pray, Lord, for the ones that are here that you'll just comfort and, and be with them. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, just touch them. Help them to see their need for your for salvation through you, Lord. We just thank you for all that you do for us. 
Help us at the rest of the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Love this song that Kyler wrote. Ken does such a good job on it. Sweet things out of dark places. You listen to the choir this morning.
so much, choir, as always, for your wonderful uh, uh, songs for us to get us ready for the Word of God. Let me give you some announcements this morning just before our little ones come up to head out to Children's Church Junior Church. Drama practice today, 2.30. Again, as usual, i got to make a correction, 5 and 6. And pay attention to that if you would, folks. The list is out beside uh, the teen room to make sure you're in the things that you're here today for two, at 2.30. Help us out with that if you would. No evening services tonight. We'll be practicing throughout the afternoon and getting ready for that. And then uh, Brother uh, Upchurch needs to meet with all of those who are heading on the senior trip, the one that's listed in your bulletin on Thursday, November 30th. There's been a little change to that, so he needs to talk to you all about that right after service today. Where do you want to meet, Brother Upchurch? Right over here on the piano side, so right after church this morning. And then, uh, speaking of our drama, uh, if uh, you're not in the drama or you're not in the first few scenes of the drama, uh, and you can help Brother Daryl out this year in our parking lot. Uh, as always, we need some parking lot attendees. We ask him to get here 45 minutes to an hour. Our church is always packed for this, so we need your help with that, fellas. Uh, if you would help us with that, we'd sure appreciate it. Then I've also put in here the 2018 holiday schedule so that you're aware of uh, the special services that, that happen around Thanksgiving, Christmas, how we change or alter our normal schedule. All of that information is in there, uh, uh, starting with uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Of course, uh, no services on that Wednesday night, but everything is listed in there, so we call your attention to that. Also, want you to be much in prayer uh, for Sister Helen King's family. Uh, her uncle, James Anderson, passed away, 97 years old. And then some of you know the cousin, Dennis Anderson, who only had one leg, and he had to have that one removed this week. So pray for our Dennis, if you would. All right, let's get our little ones up here to the front. Uh, while they're coming, I want to say a big, big, big thank you to everyone who helped pack our uh, 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 Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. 142 boxes we'll be sending out. I appreciate those who brought the stuff in, those who brought it uh, to pass to make it happen. Uh, Lord will bless you for that, and uh, we'll be sending those out this week. We're going to pray over them today. So uh, you be generous with your offering to the kids this morning. Take off, young folks.
Community Church. Come on this morning. Folks, I want to chat with the church for just a second uh, since the little ones are heading out about what happened last Sunday uh, down in Texas and to let you uh, be aware of how we take care of ourselves here. And then I'm going to ask parents for some help on a couple of things. First of all, uh, I had three pastors call me this week to talk about the situation in Texas. And you understand that security is something that we have to take very seriously here. We live in a crazy, sick world today, and we have to be very diligent. As most of you know, we've had a security team here at our church for a couple of years now. But I do want to make you aware of a couple of things. Number one, uh, at 11 o'clock, all the doors around the church lock except for this main one. So uh, sometimes folks have come to me and said, Preacher, I got here late and the doors were locked. And the answer to that is yes, they are. Uh, we lock them. Uh, you can come in the main door if you don't get here at 1045 uh, because we don't want folks wandering in who are not supposed to wander in. We take everybody and anybody. Don't misunderstand me. But we also have to be diligent in protecting ourselves. I met with law enforcement two years ago when we set up our security team and asked them about having firearms here. And they gave me the state statute which says that firearms are, uh, the only way firearms can be at a church uh, facility is if the executive, the pastor, gives permission. I'd said this two years ago, and I say again, if you have a concealed carry permit and you're allowed to carry firearms, you're welcome to carry firearms here at the church uh, for safety purposes. I also want you to understand that we have a safety team here at church. Sometimes you will see if you're paying attention, especially from up here, if you're singing or something, you can see the men wandering around outside. Uh, they uh, patrol the facility during all of our services, and that is an effort to keep you safe. We've had issues where they've had to go up and ask someone what they're doing here, uh, why they're sitting out in the parking lot when church is going on. That is by no means meant to be unkind or unhelpful, but you understand it's a crazy, crazy world that we live in today, and we have to be very diligent, and we take security very seriously. Parents, I'm going to ask you to help me out to, on this. I know that when I was a child growing up, uh, running around church was one of the wonderful things to do. And I am thrilled to say I love to see kids running around our church. I want their memories to be here at church having a good time. Listen very carefully. When they walk out of this building... We cannot have responsibility. I need you to make sure if they walk out of this building that you know where they are. We've, uh, we have a security system in place now where we've got videos everywhere. Where every time you walk in, I promise you, you're on candid camera. You can wave and smile. We do that again so that we can patrol the facility to make sure that nobody is doing anything they shouldn't. And we've seen on tape at times, and this is especially true during practice. I'm going to talk about it today with everybody, where at times we're up here doing something. Kids will go downstairs. They'll go out the back door, go out into the playground, and there's nobody there. Understand, folks, we can't have that. Uh, and I'm going to talk to the kids, parents. I want you to stress this with the kids. When they walk out of here, crazy stuff can happen. So what I ask you to stress with them is that when they're, on ch they're at church, they need to stay in church until they're with an adult. Can you help me with that? Please say amen. Every adult in the building, 
I want you to be diligent about this. If you see a child going out a door without their parent, I'm going to ask you to stand in front of that door and say, where's your mom and daddy? Where's your grandparent? Whoever you're here with, don't walk out of this door without their, uh, without their guardian or whoever it is here they're with because we don't want anything to happen to any of these babies. And you understand that stupid stuff happens out in the world, and we're going to do everything we can to protect that from happening. So please, 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 parents, stress that with your kids. I'm going to stress it with them today at practice, and then I need all the adults uh, to be diligent as well. The best we can do is the best we can do, and we're going to do the best we can do to keep this place and everybody in it safe. Amen. Fellas, make your way down this morning, if you would, please. Uh, Helbert family, you all come get ready to sing for us. Uh, You mind the Lord with his tithes and your offerings. God will bless you for it. I'm going to pray, and we'll ask God to speak to us today. Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity that you've provided to be in your house today. Lord, I pray your blessings upon the offering. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give back that which you've given to us. Lord, thank you for all the work that's going on this week, this weekend, getting our stuff ready, Operation Christmas Child ready, and Lord, so that we could come today and worship the Lord. Bless the girls as they sing now in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen. Wow, I love that song. Well, God can be good to us. Let's all stand together this morning. Hymn number 181 in uh, your red song book. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Hymn number 181. Great job, girls.
All right. Thank you so much as always, ladies. Romans chapter 12 this morning, please. Romans chapter 12 this morning. Put a smile on your face. Jesse came. I'm going to get you in trouble, Jesse. Jesse came up to me a minute ago and she said, Preacher, I know why you got choked after that first choir song. I said, Why? She said, Because you've been sucking down glitter. <laughs> Amen. God inhabits the praise of his people. The pits of hell are full of glitter. Amen. <laughs> Romans 12 this morning. Romans 12. Romans 12. Going to give you the third message this morning in a series of three. This will be our final one. All about our reasonable service. A reasonable service. I have been very creative in the title of the message this morning. It's called Our Reasonable Service Part 3. <laughs> But if you will recall, uh, we have spent the last two weeks looking in depth at what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, those first two verses. He spends the first 11 chapters dealing a lot with the who and the why and the wherefores and the hows and the nature of salvation. But he redirects in beginning in Romans chapter 12 and he talks about some of the results of salvation and how that saved person the transformed creature, if you will, similar to what he says to the Corinthian church when he talks about being a new creature in Christ. The question always comes about is, how are we supposed to live as believers? How are we supposed to conduct ourselves? What is it we're supposed to do and walk and act and think and talk? Romans chapter 12 really begins Paul's conversation about that. He says in verse number one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a, this is what we talked about two weeks ago, a living sacrifice. How our flesh is to be that living sacrifice. How we are to crucify that flesh, Paul said. A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. And then he underscores that point again by saying, and that is, this is our reasonable service. I say again, it is not unreasonable for God to expect his children to act like his children. It is not unreasonable for God to expect those that he has saved to act like they are saved. He then begins to define it further in verse number two when he says, and be not conform to this world. Boy, we could, again, we spent a lot of time there last week, but we could say again, God's people have no business acting, looking, walking, and talking like the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed or metamorphed, if you will, totally turned inside out. How? By the renewing of the mind you may present or prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Let's read them both one more time. Chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Lord, bless the preaching today. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you that you did not leave us directionless. Lord, you gave us clearly, black and white, we understand that you gave us clearly, succinctly, and directly what it is that we need in order to live the Christian life. Lord, it's not a matter if we don't have what we have. It's a matter oftentimes we don't want to do what it is we're supposed to do. Lord, I pray that you would, again, open up the scriptures today. Show us, Lord, when we walk out of here how it is that we're to conduct ourselves. Lord, I've said for three weeks now, and we'll say again, it's not my desire for anybody to say, Pastor, that was a good message. It's my desire today, Lord, that when we walk out of here, we live a little bit differently than we did when we walked in here. This would be a message that, like the Word says, can transform us into being a better believer in Christ. Lord, save the lost today. Bring us all closer to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I know that all of you, like me, were stunned at last Sunday by what the news media brought to us. Staggering to think about that we can walk into a house of worship, a church, and our lives be at stake. As things begin to unfold, uh, we saw the totality of the slaughter and realized that in some cases I read that one family lost eight members of a family three generations. It's staggering to think about the depravity to which man can fall. We see situations like that and we think, how could evil be so prolific today? Those of you who are my age, and I still consider myself young, I'm 47 years old, say amen, that's young, thank you. Those of you who are my age, you think back to your past 25, 30, 35 years ago, those of you who are senior saints, you think back 50, 60, 70 years ago, and the way society is today, we would have never imagined that going to church would put ourselves at risk. Never thought that. We've never dawned upon us. Naturally, the news media plays up the fact that this was in a church. But in reality, this could have been a mall. could have been a hospital. We've already seen what happens at a public school. It can be anywhere where people are gathered, quite frankly. I heard one commentator ask a preacher, and I will confess that it was again while I was at the hotel this week uh, up in Richmond, Again, sitting down, flipping the TV on, don't know, didn't know what station I was on, uh, didn't even know who this preacher was, uh, since looked him up, because the news media asked this preacher a very uh, understandable question, uh, how could God allow this to happen at a church? How could God allow, permit something like this to happen at a church? What this person said, what this pastor said, was actually quoting from some of the stuff that Billy Graham said shortly after 9-11. Those of you that will remember 9-11, we were utterly devastated, and our world changed on 9-11. Everything about us changed. Billy Graham made a statement. This pastor picked up on it and shared a few other thoughts that I want to share with you directly what this pastor said. He said, I believe that God is saddened by what happened today in Texas, just as we are. But you must understand, sir, this pastor was, that for years we've been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of our government, and to get out of our lives. Being the gentleman that he is, I believe that God has calmly 
backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessing and his protection if we as a society have demanded that he leave us alone? Terrorist attacks, school shootings. He said, if you think about it, the evil that seems so prolific today must be aligned with history of the faith. The news commentator said, Pastor, what are you talking about? The pastor said it wasn't too many years ago or too many decades ago when folks started complaining that they didn't want prayer in schools. And our nation said, hey. Then someone said, we better not have the Bible in school. You know that Bible that teaches, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Said, okay. Then folks said, you better not discipline your children uh, when they misbehave because their personalities will be warped. I will pause a moment and say, my house never got that message. Amen. We said uh, we shouldn't discipline our children because their little personalities will be warped and we might damage their self-esteem. And we said, okay. Now we're asking ourselves, why a generation has no conscience? Why they don't know right from wrong and why it doesn't bother them to kill strangers, classmates, take a life. Pastor went on to say, if we think about it, we dwell on it long enough and hard enough, we can probably figure out that when Scripture says we reap what we sow, that the hidden deep-seated meaning behind that is we reap what we sow. Funny, pastor goes on to say, how simple it is for people to trash God and then wonder why no one's godly. Funny, he goes on to say, how we believe what newspapers will say, but we question what the Bible says. Funny, how lewd, crude, vulgar, obscene press articles pass through freely through cyberspace. Yet the public discussion of God is suppressed. School, workplace, and the public. Pastor goes on to say that Scripture plainly teaches in Psalms that blessed is the nation. God is the Lord. That pastor ended his statements by saying the nation walks away from God. That nation can't turn around and say, where did God go? And I submit to you this morning, folks, we're there. We're there. We're in a society today where human life seems to have lost its value. But if there is no truth, if there is not something that we can hold in our hands and say, this is truth, then everything is relative. Everything is questionable. We turn now to the third lesson, third message, what Paul had to share. Very much related to the conversation at hand. You see, folks, when we begin to understand that God wants to clearly give us direction, he did not save us, as I've said three weeks now, from the pig pen of the world in order for us to go back and wallow again with the hogs. These two verses tell us that there is no secret to holy living very plain in front of us. We don't often like it. We don't often want to do it. But it says to us that the holy life, if you will, is when we understand uh, that, that the flesh must be crucified 
We must have the mind of God. And we turn now to our third life or our third statement, which says in verse number two, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God. I will yet one more time say, as I've said now for three weeks, we will never live for God by accident. It won't just happen. We must have a concerted effort. We must, if you will, have the plan or adopt, I'm going to say, the plan, the blueprint that God creates for us. How do we do it? Three weeks ago, we said, number one, it revolves around the worship of God. And worship is not what happens on Sunday morning. Uh, worship, uh, Paul says uh, in Romans chapter number 12, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you have that crucified flesh, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It is the understanding for every one of us that, as Paul says to the Corinthian church, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. I'll remind you that the church of Corinth gave Paul an absolute fit. It was situated right at the temple of the goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of sex and goddess of immorality, if you will, in Roman society. And the Corinthian church tried desperately to bring in that external junk of the world into the church and thereby try to live on both sides of the fence. And Paul looks at the Corinthian church and says, What? No, you're not. Your body's a temple of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your flesh. Paul says the worship of God, not necessarily just what happens on Sunday. It's how we live our lives Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the rest of the week. Then last week, we learned not only is it presenting our living sacrifice, the worship of God, but it is also the wisdom of God. You've been in this church for very long. You've heard me say a hundred times now, the battle for the Christian today is the battle of the mind. But in reality, that's the way Satan has always operated. He knows if he can get here, he knows if he can get inside of our heads, uh, then our flesh will soon follow. Whatsoever man thinketh, what he is. Satan knows that infiltrating our mind, infiltrating our mental faculties is the secret to ruining our Christian testimony. And I said last week, and I'll say one more time, and we'll go to the third point. That's the reason teenagers, moms and dads, young adults and senior saints, what we put in our minds matters. Because once it gets in here, my, my, my. How Satan, even when we think we have filed it away in the back of the mental filing cabinet, Satan loves to pull out the drawer, run to the back, and yank it right back out and throw it right in front of our face. Why? Because that's what an enemy he is. Roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The worship of God, number one. The mind of God, if you will, the, the wisdom of God, number two. Then number three this morning, we will give to you what I believe is Paul's third point in what he calls our reasonable service, and that is the will of God. The will of God. At the end of verse number three, he says, if, excuse me, verse number two, he says that you may prove what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we yield our bodies to God, our flesh, as we adopt the mind of God, his will becomes more clear, I'm going to say more important to us. One of the questions that I have often been asked by young people especially, sometimes others, is preacher, I just don't know what the will of God is for my life. I've heard preachers talk about terminology that I heard my entire life going up, the perfect will of God versus the permissive will of God. The only problem with that is I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. I don't find those terms in Scripture, and I get real nervous when we adopt something that's not there. So I submit to you this morning, if you will think about the will of God, think about it as a blueprint. Think about it, if you will, as as right now we are getting ready to redesign our entire parking lot. We know parking is an issue. It was beginning to be a project with us for the last five years as we bought the property from the state. And now we are to the point where the architectural and engineer firm has created a master blueprint for us. When we lay it out, there's all kinds of terminology there, all kinds of lines, and 99% of it, I don't even understand what it is. I look to the deacons and say, fellas, y'all got this. Amen. But I am smart enough to know that we paid that architectural and engineering firm to do what we can't do. We paid them to create a master plan, a blueprint that says where everything needs to go. And if you do this right, not only will we have better parking, it'll take care of the leaks that we have going on downstairs. It'll effectually look better. It'll aesthetically look better. There will be all kinds of improvements on it if we follow the plan. But do you know what happens when you start tinkering with the plan? You have a mess. A tinker here becomes a tinker there, and this change has an impact upon this system, and this little thing has an impact upon this. You see, the master architect created the very best blueprint he can create, and we are smart if we follow the plan. But when we think we know better than the architect, we get into a mess. When we try to save a buck here and there by cutting corners, We get into a mess. Now, we will sit in our pews and say amen to that. But when we have a master blueprint, when we have the clear direction of God laid out in front of us, it's not that we don't have the blueprint. It's that we decide we want to tinker with it. We decide that we won't want to do what we want to do, and we're going to change what the plan says. And you listen to me, that has consequences. That has consequences. So when we get into our message this morning, I want you to understand that I think, and I think most pastors and most scholars agree with me on this, that when we talk about the will of God, it is what is God's master plan for our life. It is how God has laid it out so that we can have the very best life that we can have. I don't know about you, But I want what God has for me. I want the best he can give me in my family. And I don't want to go tinkering with his plan and end up with something less than what he wanted to give me to begin with. So let's get into it this morning. 
We will look singularly at that last clause in Romans 12 too, that you may prove. But is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? I'll start this morning by asking a simple question. What does the word prove mean? What does the word prove mean? When Paul says that you may prove, but is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God? If I had one of these teen boys sitting up here on the front row, and I'm glad they're here, look up at me and say, Pastor Greg, I can bench press 500 pounds. Or maybe one of them says, Pastor Greg, I can do 300 push-ups in two minutes. You know what I'm going to say? Prove it. Prove it. It is easy for us to talk about what we can do. Those of us who are senior adults are getting up in age. It is real easy for us to talk about what we used to do. <laughs> and every time I talk about the fact I play tennis at William & Mary, I get better every time I talk about it. <laughs> Amen. It is easy for us to talk about uh, what we think we can do or what we pretend what we can do. But when we have to prove it, that's when the rubber meets the road. I submit to you this morning, we can talk all day long about being a Christian. We can talk all day long about telling somebody else that they ought to be a Christian. But the rubber meets the road when the world says, prove it. Prove it. To the lost man who looks at the church, to the lost man who looks at the Christian and says, why should I be a Christian? What's in it for me? What will I get out of it? I recognize those are the wrong questions, but we shouldn't expect the world and the lost to act anything like but the world and the lost. You see, I hope you'll get this, church. The life that we live in front of the lost is God's evidence for the benefits of salvation. Oh, honey, I need to say that again because I lost about half the crowd. The life that we live in front of the lost is God's evidence of the benefits of salvation. I've heard many preachers say it like this, we're the only Bible many people ever read. I've heard many preachers say uh, that when you look at uh, some believers today, uh, it's no wonder that the world says, I want nothing to do with that. I want none of that. Uh, if that's a Christian, then the woods are full of them. You've heard all the ideologies. You've heard uh, all the trite sayings. But the reality is uh, when we say we are a Christian, there's some proof that needs to come along with it. So teenagers, you go to school tomorrow. What's the proof that you are who you say you are? Mamas and daddies, we're not going to just pick on the teens. They're easy picking grounds. We love to pick on the teens. But let's be honest, mamas and dads, we got work to do too. When we go to work tomorrow, what's the proof that we are who we say we are? Grandmas and grandpas, when we go to work or we're interacting with our lost friends and family members, what is the evidence, the proof in our life that we are who we say we are? Well, Paul defines that will of God with three adjectives. Good, acceptable, perfect. That you may prove what is that good, Acceptable, perfect will of God. Let's hit each one of them quickly. Number one, the will of God, the master blueprint 
the evidence that God is working in our life. And I'll go again and say that perfect design, what God has perfectly laid out for our life, it is good. Good. Regardless of what the world says, living the Christian life is awesome. What do you mean, Pastor? I don't talk about my past a whole lot, especially in front of my kids. But I will say to you that I spent a few years of my life living for the flesh. I did what I wanted to do. I took matters into my own hands. And I'm not going to pretend and tell you that at times it wasn't fun and it wasn't enjoyable. There's pleasure in sin. Then I woke up. Or as Luke 15 says, I came to myself. With the help of the ones God put in my life. And I realized that the fun I was having was living me in the pig pen. The fun that I thought I was having was costing me way more than I could afford to pay. And I woke up and realized, man, what's going on at the Father's house is more than I could ever hope to have here in this world. I want to tell everybody this morning, contrary Teenagers, young adults, uh, contrary to what this world says, the Christian life ain't boring. It is awesome. I spent years living for myself, but I will tell you that the life I get to live now is so much better than anything I did away from God. Man, God has pulled handfuls of purpose, like he says in in Ruth, into my life. Blessed me in ways I could never imagine. Did more for me in one day than I ever had in five years of living for myself. Good to be a child of God. It's good to be in church. It's good to have brothers and sisters in Christ. I've said thousands of times, I'm closer to my church family than I am many in my extended biological family. Why? Because they don't get my ideas of church. Don't get me as a child of God. I want you to understand the Christian life, the will of God. Good. But I want to get into that second. Not only God say it's But he says, secondly, the will of God for our lives is acceptable. We got to stop here for a minute. Because this, in my mind, has the idea of Christian maturity. Why? Because during those three, four, five years I was living for myself, if you had told me then that I'd be doing today, now, what I'm doing, The Greg Hodges 28, 29, 30 years ago would have said, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. That's not even on my radar screen. Take that out of here. Why? Because I was immature. I was silly enough to think that I could do better. Listen, please. I was silly enough to think that I could do better with my life than God could do. I was silly enough to think that I, you know, I, you know, some of you understand, when I was 18, I knew everything. I mean, when, and then I turned 19 and 20 and 21 and get out of here, I knew it all. 
and you couldn't tell me squat. Nothing. Why? Because I knew everything. If you'd sit down a minute, I would tell you everything that you needed to know. How stupid I was. How immature I was. You'll indulge me for just a moment. I don't often talk like this, but I want to tell you a little story. It's the story of how God took an out-in-the-world, immature, snotty-nosed only child, because mom and daddy got it right the first time, only child named Greg Hodges, and totally turned his world around. Thirty years later, I look back at things that did not make any sense to me at all and say, God was doing God pivoted my life here. God changed my direction here. And he turned things around here. And in each of those pivots, I think back to myself now, what an God we serve. I went away to William and Mary. Most of you know this. I went away to be a professional actor. William and Mary boasts one of the country's greatest theater programs. Linda Lavin, Glenn Close, David Ogden Nash from MASH. Some of you senior saints will remember him. These folks would come back regularly and deliver master classes. I thought I was in the middle of heaven. Then the first thing that happened in my life where God began to turn it all around was I ran into this crazy woman named Renee Hodges. She was Renee Hicks then. You can pipe down, honey. <laughs> A lot of you know this, but I'm going to share some things you don't know because I want you to understand how in my life, God took very little bitty things, pivoted my world all the way around. And as I share this story, I challenge you to reflect back on your own life where God intervened in divine ways, yet sometimes tiny ways, and showed you this is what you're supposed to do. The woman who would become my sister-in-law came up to me shortly after Renee's daddy began pastoring our church. I was home on my sophomore year from Christmas break, and she said, you ought to take Renee out. And I said, Renee, who? She said, your preacher's daughter. And I said, I'm not taking her out. I'm not about to do that. She said, take her out to dinner. Y'all will have a good time. My mother was so excited. We went to Shoney's. How many of you remember Shoney's? Amen. There are very few problems in this world that a hot fudge cake won't fix. Amen. We are sitting down at Shoney's. And again, a lot of you know this. I'll be fast. And I begin, I don't know why I pour my heart out and how unhappy I was and how troubling my life was and how difficult things were. And woe is me and poor me and poor me. And my wife, being the incredibly sympathetic woman that she is, said to me, give me a break. You know the life you're supposed to be living. You claim to be a Christian and you're sitting here whining. I don't want to hear it. And I think to myself, I'm going to marry that woman? Nope. I go home that night, and my mama said, how did it go? How did it go? And I looked at my mama, and I said, Mama, I pity the person that falls in love with that egotistical, self-centered, mean woman. But what she said made sense. 
child of God has no business in the pig pen. Sometimes I think uh, we look for sympathy and people to say it's okay while I'm here in the pig pen for a little while. Uh, when a real friend will look at us and say, you're a Christian, you've got no business in the pig pen. So, it wasn't long thereafter that I rededicated my life. Lord, that turned things around for me. That's the sophomore year of Christmas. That spring, I decided, this may not fit your theology, but I decided there was no way that I could come back home that summer and be around the same people I'd always been around and do the same things during the summer that I'd always done because I knew I was still weak, and I had to make a change. So on the weekly blueprint that William and Mary used to send out. This is in the spring of the year. Uh, there's a little blurb that says, want a summer job? Uh, camp counselors will be here uh, from 10 until 2. Only challenge was I had a class until 1.50. So uh, at 1.50, I'd take off running over to William and Mary Hall, uh, and there are two tables left with counselors. One for a girls' camp, Camp Louis, and one for a boys' camp, Camp Eric. The other 30 have already packed up shop and gone. Their rosters are full. They don't need anybody else. So I run up uh, to the man whose name was Ed Cohen, and I said, Sir, my name is Greg Hodges. Uh, I'm thinking about doing something this summer. I've never done this before, but could I possibly be a counselor? Looked at me, and he said, Wow, only got one slot left, Mr. Hodges, and this probably is not going to fit you, but I need a guy on my camp uh, who can help teach theater. Now, the lost person would say, what a coincidence. But those of us that are saved will say, what a God. What a God. And I looked at him and I said, I think I'm your man. We began to talk, and sure enough, I signed up. I hope you'll not throw anything at me. I didn't go because I liked kids. I didn't go because I thought kids would be wonderful to spend my summer with. As a 20-year-old young man, spending my summer in a cabin of 30 kids, that's how many we had, was not paradise. But I went there. Absolutely hell in love. The lost man says, what a coincidence. But the saved man says. I walked out of there, come back to college my junior year. God's beginning to work in my life. And I feel what is, I believe, a divine calling up in my life to begin preaching, which in my world means I have to begin preparing. I came home and talked to my pastor, who was Renee's daddy, and Renee and I are starting to see one another again. And I told him, Preacher, I think I'm called to preach. And he gives me some good advice, and we're looking at scriptures together, and we're doing steps together. And then it dawns on me, as I read that the average independent Baptist church has about 60 members, I'm going to have to figure out how to feed a family. And oftentimes, pastoring doesn't do that in the Baptist church. So I began to pray. I do, Lord. I don't think theater is going to feed a family. God began to impress upon my life. So I went. I still think I'm making these steps up. I'm going to hurry. 
You'll think I'm making these steps up. But I went over to the William & Mary School of Education. I made an appointment to talk to Dr. Ledbetter. And I said, Dr. Ledbetter, I think I want to be a school teacher. And he says, it'll take two and a half years. He looked at my record. I said, I've been here for three already. He said, you want to teach? You'll be here for two and a half more. Okay. So I changed my major, education. Renee and I get engaged. We become husband and wife. We have a wonderful family together. We're living in a little bitty trailer. I am working. We moved here back home to Martinsville City Schools. I could tell you a thousand little steps along this juncture. I got offered 14 jobs before I took Martinsville City School. Four jobs that would have paid me a whole lot more around the country. And every single time something happened. It didn't work out. The world says, what a coincidence. The Christian says, what a God. So I end up teaching in Martinsville City Schools. We are working in Renee's daddy's church, having the time of our lives. Tried for years to have children, never could. We took one of the teens in from our church, a young girl. She was here just a few weeks ago. You may remember her. Tracy was here with her own children. Then we took another one in, and then Renee gets pregnant, and then 18 months later, she's pregnant again. So we got four of them in a two-bedroom trailer. The law says, what a coincidence. Christian says, oh, my God. <laughs> Amen. Tight living. Tight living. I'm speeding up quickly because I want to get to the end of the story. I got asked to pastor four churches before Amazing Grace called. And I went to each, every time I got asked, Renee would go with me, and then I'd go talk to her daddy. Her daddy would say, I don't think you're ready. You're ready for this. And I went from saying, yes, sir, to saying, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, in my flesh, I would sit back and I'd say, this man is working me to death. Why he doesn't want me to leave? And I went to the fourth one, Grace. And I will tell you that the day that they called, I knew. My wife will tell you that. I hung up, and I said, Renee, what we're supposed to do? Went to her daddy expecting the worst, and he looked at me, and he said, lost man says, what a coincidence. Saved man says, what a God. Fast forward. Five years, been teaching, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Every second of it, well, almost every second of it, I loved. Loved being, loved being a pastor while I was teaching. Got to get this story. Man, I know I'm going along. Got to get this On Monday, the lady that teaches gifted and talented at our school comes by my, off, comes by my room and says, Greg, I'm teaching at Patrick Henry. I'm teaching a class for teachers at Patrick Henry. We're meeting Thursday night, but I got a funeral for a sister-in-law. I really need to be in North Carolina. Is there any way you could go and just do a guest lecture for me on classroom management? You seem to have that down, and I think you could help them. Would you just go on a Thursday night and do a one-hour lecture for me on effective classroom management? I looked at Miss Stanley. I said, sure, I'd be glad to. Glad to. The campus... She never told me how many would be there. I thought I was going to be standing in full of a classroom of 30 people. There were four. Four who were taking the class. 
And then the person who's in charge of the program walked in. But she didn't know me. She wanted to hear who this guest lecturer was. At the end of the class, she comes up and says, I love you tonight. Would you be willing to take a class of your own next semester? Boss man says, what a coincidence. Dave man says, fast forward. And God begins to work, opens up a door. I will never forget the dean that hired me. Wonderful, godly man. Loved him dearly. Called me into his office and said, Greg, you're the committee's pick, but I think they've made a mistake. He stands up on August 2004, we have a tradition on our campus where the deans always introduce their new employees. And so he stands up and he says, well, we have a new early childhood ed faculty, but I'm not sure yet he's who I'm supposed to have hired, but I did anyway. He introduces me. Things happened rather quickly from then. Things began to happen. Assistant dean, dean. A lot of you know that story. And I'll close with this. 2008. Nope, 2010. Our camp meeting, we had Dr. Johnny Pope, my favorite teacher. I love me some Johnny Pope. Brilliant theologian. Brilliant. And he's one of those where I can just sit in and words of honey drip out of his mouth, and I'm just trying to suck it all up. Brilliant man. We always go out to dinner afterwards. We're sitting at Najar's, the pre- other preachers, Johnny Pope and I, and what he doesn't know, man, I'm struggling. I am absolutely struggling, and I hope you won't throw anything at me. I'm this close, and God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Running like crazy, and I got, and please don't, please don't take this. I got all kinds of preachers that I love and admire who are really chastising me. Because the church is now 200, 250. They keep saying, preacher, it's time for you to quit. It's time for you to step away. You need to give up that other job and focus on the church. That's working on me. I mean, it's working hard on me. So it's a Thursday night. Go to Najar's. He had just preached what I thought was the best message I'd ever heard in my entire life. It was called the cup. Called the cup. I was blown away by everything he said. That simple statement, Lord, let the, Lord Jesus says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Blown away by it. So, time to take him to the hotel. And I looked at the other preacher and I said, fellas, can I take Brother Johnny to the hotel? Sure, take him, take him, take him. Two minutes down the road, uh, Brother Pope, thank you for coming, man. I love you. Hope we see each other soon. In this kind, gentlemanly way, he said, thank you, Brother Hodges. Love you, buddy. I'll see you soon. He gets out. And I put the car in reverse and he stops. Turns around knocks on the window. And I've got the little automatic door, so I roll it down. He says, you got a minute? And I said, sure, for you, anything. And he gets back in. He said, Lord just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Lord just kind of stopped me in my tracks. I got to tell you something. But Brother Pope, he said, we are desperate for godly people in higher education. We are Desperate, we're losing the battle of higher ed. And he looked at me and he said, I don't care if you pastor 2,200 or 2,000, please don't ever quit that. 
please don't ever walk away from that. Please don't walk away from education. The lost man says, what a coincidence. And this preacher went home wiping tears saying, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for setting the golden fleece for me to know what I'm supposed to do. You see, folks, that's what I mean by acceptable. Along the steps, there's certain things that God matures us on where we step back and we say, that's what he wants. Good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Please don't misunderstand me. He is not suggesting it's going to be a perfect life. Good golly, Miss Molly. Anything but. But when we get right smack dab in what God has for us, and we just hunker down in it, step back and we watch God do the unimaginable. Unbelievable. Let's stand to our feet. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may present what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Quickly, I've gone long this morning. Bow your heads with me. We're not going to have a long invitation. If you're here this morning, there are questions in your own mind. Mom, dad, teenager, young adult, grandma, grandpa. Questions in your head about which way to go, which path to take. And you're asking God to show you clearly the next step you need to go. Nobody's looking. Preacher, pray for me. Oh, my goodness. There's a lot of hands. I appreciate your honesty. Appreciate your honesty. Can I, can I just say to you this morning that God will clearly give you steps, will orchestrate your life in such a way that you know what you're supposed to do. No question. I'm going to ask you one more. Brother Ken's going to sing one verse. Anybody here this morning would say, Pastor Greg, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I know I don't want to go to hell. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to pray for you. Anybody like that? Preacher Greg, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Everybody that raised your hand this morning, some folks have already moved, but if you raised your hand this morning, can I implore you to step out right now? Give me steps, God. I'm going to lay out a golden fleece here, Lord. I want you to show me which way to go. Give me clarity. Give me direction. Help me to understand the next steps that I'm supposed to take. A lot of people moving this morning. Brother Ken, sing for us if you would, buddy. One verse.
the verse together while these are finishing praying. Sing it with us. Let's do it a cappella, Renee. Have thine own way. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. Mold me and make me. After thy will. After thy will. While I am waiting. Yielded and still. World says, what a coincidence. Dave man says, what a God. Father, thank you for the time this morning. Folks, receptiveness to the message. Lord, give us steps along our journey. You've told us that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Order our steps, Lord, so that we can step back and say, this is what you want. It's the perfect will for our lives. Perfect will. Lord, that's the only will there is from you, the perfect will. Help us not to mess it up. Thank you for loving us, saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Practice 2.30, you're dismissed this morning. Thank you for being here, folks. Brother Bobby needs to meet with those senior saints that are heading on the trip right over here.